Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome back to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And you know, I always like to bring people from different industries. And and I admit we've talked to a lot of professional speakers because you tend to go to your friends when you start a podcast. And I have a lot of friends through the National Speakers Association. But you know, across industry lines, one of the things that's so important and also so hard to understand for entrepreneurs is really the whole idea of public relations. You know, PR is something we all want. We want our phone to ring. We want people to have heard our name before when we get referred to them, but that kind of gets difficult when it's confusing and how do you do it and and is Haro enough for an entrepreneur or should you invest in a PR person? And so I specifically was happy to have Jennifer Sarver agree to be my guest today because in addition to being someone who left the world of regular employment, who launched out on her own to start her own agency in the last year, she also has 16 years experience working in public affairs. So she has a lot of understanding of what this takes. So in addition to the regular questions that I ask everybody, I'm going to push her a little bit on what small business and and growing entrepreneurs and solopreneurs really can do when it comes to PR. So I'm really excited to have Jennifer with us today. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk with you and uh, talk a little bit about entrepreneurship and and solopreneurship. I love that term. Um, And also what what, people starting out on their own or considering starting out on their own might, might want to do from a public relations standpoint. I think there's a lot of great tools and resources available to folks folks that you know, weren't even available five years ago. So it really is an, a great opportunity for people to build their brand and aware, awareness about their organization. So let's start off by you telling the audience a little bit about your company and what you're doing now. Certainly. Well, Sarver Strategies is the name of my company, communications consultancy here in Austin, Texas. Um, I help clients tell their story. That's really the basis. I, I help clients from nonprofits, major global corporations, um, also some political clients figure out what their story is. Um, the bottom line is, what's that fundamental thing that you want people to know about you? And once we've kind of crafted that story, crafted that narrative, developed your key messages, then I want to help you deliver that effectively. So I do a lot of training, do media training, presentation skills training to help clients get more confidence and more skill in delivering their message, whatever the, whatever the medium is. So if you're planning to give a big speech, I do a lot of one-on-one coaching with executives to make sure they're prepared to give the speech. Um, if it's a nonprofit that's really trying to hone its skills in development and really pitch their organization better so they can do more effective fundraising. I work with those organizations to, to practice the ask. Um, so really, it's storytelling and training. Um, I have a background um, that's pretty diverse, a, a lot in public affairs and politics. I worked as a speechwriter in Washington, D.C. Um, I also worked um, for, for a public relations agency for a number of years, so a global PR firm. So I've had the opportunity to work with clients in the public private nonprofit sectors. And the one kind of common denominator is people have complicated stories and they have a tough time telling them. So I really want to help people distill those difficult and complex stories down to a real simple narrative that anybody can remember or understand. So when you think about like someone who has launched out on their own to start their own business or someone who is a solopreneur or maybe they've got like a growth-oriented startup, 
What's the biggest mistake they make when it comes to PR? I think when it comes to PR, people try to do to be all things to all people. They want to tell their story to everyone. It makes me crazy when a client says, well, my audience is the general public. <laughs> you can't communicate to everybody. So you really got to figure out who your audience is. If you're selling a product, who's likely to buy your product? And then let's narrow down the ways in which we can communicate with those people. So identifying your audience, narrowing your message down to, to pick that audience, and then figuring out the right channels. Um, if your audience is not on social media, then don't build a social media strategy as the first thing you do. Um, if, you, if you have very limited budgets, a paid advertising strategy isn't going to be the right way to go. Um, pick your audience, figure out what you're really good at, and, and be able to communicate what you're good at to that audience. I think that the biggest mistake people make is trying to be all things to all people and not really narrowing it down and whittling it down. And they use a lot of their precious time and limited resources trying to capture the wrong people. Um, and they don't really get to the target audience. But isn't it hard to sort of narrow it down? Because don't you fall into the thing that, oh, I, I don't want to like leave those people out or I don't want, you know, I want to be in the New York Times because it sounds so exciting. But if that's not where your people are reading, you know, I mean, isn't it hard to let go of the big prize, though? It is. It is. It's really hard. I mean, I I I, can, I chuckle a little bit because I can't I can't tell you the amount of times that people say, well, "We just need a great New York Times story. We just need to be in the Wall Street Journal, or if we could get on sixty minutes." Um, and you're right. You have to take a step back and say, "Where are my audience? What, what are they reading and watching and listening?" Um, I've worked um, you know with clients internationally, and I've worked with clients here in Austin, Texas. And if you're a small local business in Austin, Texas, being in the New York Times isn't necessarily going to help grow your business. But being in the Austin Business Journal or being in the, the community impact newspaper in Westlake might be the right target for you. And I think people have to consider incremental steps. You know, people don't just wake up and overnight they get into the New York Times. So maybe there's a great profile piece in a local paper, or maybe you have a great success story, a case study with one client that catches the eye of the New York Times. So you've got to build incrementally and think about, you know, how, what's going to be successful. Another thing, you know, that I am cautious of is creating demand that I can't meet. I mean, if I had a profile on the front page of the New York Times about my crisis communication skills, that would be a huge ego boost. But if I had four global corporations call me on the same day to ask me to handle their crisis, I couldn't handle it at this point in time with my business. And so I need to be strategic about how I market myself so that I don't get into deep water. You know, I, I want to be able to handle the things that come in and be strategic about who I say yes to. And I think that's a really tough thing for entrepreneurs to do is to know when to say no. I mean, at the beginning of building a business, which I'm seven months in, it's hard to say no to things because you don't know if it's going to be a period of feast or famine and you have this tendency to want to kind of stockpile clients and resources. But if you're not, if you get yourself spread too thin and you're not capable of delivering upon that promise of excellence to your clients, um, you're not going to do a good job and that ultimately is going to be detrimental to the growth of your business. Uh-oh, now that you've been on cool things entrepreneurs do, I'm afraid that, that Sarver Strategies phone is going to ring off the hook this week. Well, if, that, if that's the case, Tom, I'm ready and prepared to, to take on that challenge. I was going to say, I'm not sure you clearly thought this through, that here comes the business. I'm, I imagine, you know, uh, it's going to ring like crazy. So how does somebody, if, they, if they're not in a position to hire someone like you, they can't bring in, you know, a strategist to really help them figure out what they need to do, how does somebody identify where their audience is and set realistic targets on, on how to get PR? Well, I think a couple of things. Certainly, I would hope before somebody went 
out and launched their own business, they would have done some of this business planning. I mean, for me, I plotted and kind of strategized about building my business for a, a good solid six months before I went out on my own. I thought about who my likely clients were. I talked to people who were likely to be clients um, or likely to be sources of referral. I, I looked at the market. I talked to people that do similar things and wanted, I wanted to make sure I wasn't being um, repetitive or wasn't, wasn't trying to fill in a gap that wasn't there. And so I, I decided, you know, I want to go talk to people who've been, who've been in this type of business and understand um, their strengths and their weaknesses and really learn from them. And so I think that um, one of the things that you know, people should do as they start to prepare their, their, to build a business is to do that research. And that research should tell you where the market opportunity is. And so if you know where the market opportunity is, that should lead you to your audience. If you can't pay for you know, strategic communications counsel or PR support, you've got to figure out what, what am I really good about and how do I communicate it? I think there's interesting ways that people can highlight their expertise. I mean, you know, this podcast is a perfect example of a channel that just didn't exist not, not too many years ago. Uh, you can blog, you can develop a podcast, you can tweet, um, start to build a thought leadership profile around um, an area of interest in your industry. Um, try to build up that expertise and to become someone known um, for that specific topic. And ultimately, um, if you develop kind of a following, you develop some consistent content that shows your skill set, that shows your expertise, It'll, it'll catch the attention of the right people. Um, what you want is a reporter calling you saying, hey, listen, I was referred to you by somebody who saw your blog, and I wanted to see if I could talk to you about a PR crisis, for example. In my case, somebody you know, from the Austin Business Journal called a couple of weeks ago because they'd been referred to me to get, get, get some feedback on a crisis situation that was going on and what, could I, what kind of suggestions did I have for local businesses. And that comes from building relationships um, with people within your network, um, making your content available, and communicating about that. I mean, you've got to be able to tell your own story. I mean, I worry for people that are afraid to market themselves. I mean, if you aren't confident enough in your own skill set to go out there and sell yourself and pitch your business, why, why is somebody going to take a gamble on you who's an unknown quantity? So one of the things I've found kind of with my own business is it's sort of feast or famine. Like I, mm -hmm. I submit some ideas to, to the press or I'm finding myself on different shows or I'm doing different things and then I get busy and I, and I don't do it. So what's your advice to someone if you're a one-man shop? How do you really handle the ups and downs of, of getting this done? Yeah, I think that it's, it's a good question, and I'm you know sorting through some of that myself right now. I think that it's always um, it's always pipeline development. I mean, I think there's there a, not a day goes by that I don't look at my list of client to dos and new business to dos, and new business has to be a part of every single day, and that can mean um, okay, what am I doing to follow up with existing clients to see how I can grow that business? What am I doing um, to you know put some thought leadership out there to to do an interview or to write a blog or to get myself out on the speaking circuit. I mean, I have to tell you, Tom, that one of the things I have found is the most valuable to me is my professional network and the network of people um, that I have developed over time and maintained relationships with. Um, I have not had to go out, out after a single piece of business as of yet because things have come my way because of that network. And so I've been involved in a, a tremendous amount of volunteer activities, a tremendous amount of civic engagement and civic organizations. And because of those relationships, people have have been referring, you know, business to me and sharing um, contacts with me and and giving me opportunities. So I think that one of the things you have to do is is be strategic about where you spend your time and resources, and always keep your eye on that pipeline and your eye on new business, and make sure you're doing something every single day that drives business, even if you don't have the time to do it. 
So one of the things I've found that, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, that I think is really smart for the small business is when you get a hit for some PR. So you show up in a great publication, you're quoted in Forbes, or you know there's an article that you wrote or that somebody wrote about you in the Huffington Post, or something that has high traffic. You can't assume that your audience saw it. You're talking about the New York Times. You know, if you're a local business, your readers, may, your 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 potential clients may not read the New York Times. I've found that if you get that, or if you're on a podcast or something like that, you then have to push that media out to your own audience. I have found that some of the best guests on this show are the ones who then take this show and send it in a newsletter or put it on Facebook or tweet it and say, hey, hear me on, you know, cool things entrepreneurs do. So does the actual person have to take some ownership of making sure their own audience hears them if they've had a good media media hit? Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Um, I, I that's, What everybody needs is content, right? Content is king. You hear this phrase all the time. And if you are taking the time to do a podcast, if you've been quoted or have something written about you or from you, you've got to take that content and spread it across every channel possible. So for a client of mine, you know, if they appear on an NPR interview, I then tweet that interview out. I post about that interview on Facebook. I put that interview on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Um, I share it on a blog post. And then I do it again the following week to say, make sure you check out my my interview. Um, I absolutely agree. You have to push out that content and then also find different ways to share it. So if it's a podcast, maybe somebody's not going to listen to the whole thing, but you can pull out select quotes um, and highlight a few select quotes that then become social media memes, for example, or then they become part of your bio that you, you use to pitch yourself to organizations. Um, I know that when people People have asked me to speak at events, for example. They want to see a highlight reel. So I need to take those videos of me speaking at conferences or speaking in front of clients um, and put that together in a, in a video reel so I have that accessible. It's not just enough to, to do the interview. You definitely have to take it into your own hands to spread it forward. I mean, people aren't out there searching for your name every day like you are. Um, you've really got to push it out those channels. And I think that's, that's what makes the case for having those channels available and sharing the content across all of those platforms. So Jennifer, you've been off on your own for seven months and you'd left a big agency. And before that, you'd been a speechwriter and some other stuff. So what led you to make that leap? What was the thing that you said, the time is now, I'm going to go for it? Yeah, you know, I think I always um, had in the back of my mind the idea that I wanted to hang out my own shingle someday. I mean, I have been in communications my whole life. When I was in high school, I decided that I love to speak and I love to write. And if somebody was going to pay me to do those things, that it was a great career move for me. So I've always had this idea of entrepreneurship and being my own boss in the back of my mind. And I I think over the course of my career, I've built up um, a set of skills, you know, these kind of building blocks in your career that if you had looked forward, you know, looked forward 15 years ago, I couldn't have mapped out my path. But now I see how everything has fallen into place. And I basically came to a time where I wanted more flexibility and freedom in my schedule. I wanted to have more control over the clients that I worked with, being able to say yes um, to small clients that maybe I couldn't take on at a large agency or, or say no to clients that I didn't necessarily um, agree with their mission or maybe I, I wasn't just aligned with, with their values or I just wasn't interested in it. I think I'm most effective when I'm passionate about my clients' work and so I wanted to take on projects that I really cared about. Um, so that, that alignment of, of kind of interest and the desire and the skills all building up and then what started to happen was people were were coming to me and asking me to get involved in things and asking me to take on small projects. And so I was in a position to kind of build up a small book of business on the side where I came to a point where I, I couldn't I couldn't maintain both. You know, 
I couldn't have my day job and, and become an entrepreneur. I had enough that was going on on the side that I really needed to make that transition. So for me, it was, it was a combination of feeling that I had the right set of skills, the right amount of experience, um, the people asking for me to do it already. I mean, basically, you know, people say, if you build it, they will come. I was in a situation where they were coming to me, so I needed to build it, um, which was a really great position to be in. And so I, I was fortunate to have a wonderful boss who was incredibly supportive of this move. And I gave a, a long lead time to my departure from my agency so I could leave in the right way and, and make sure those client relationships were appropriately passed off. Uh, but then when I was ready to get out on my own, I was excited. I was, I was enthused and energized and I had a book of business um, stepping into it. So I wasn't kind of stepping off the abyss. I had a really nice cushion um, and was able to hit the ground running. So what do you love about it? Uh, I love the fact that I don't have to put, my, put on makeup every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, I like I that mean, too. I'm, it, re- it, I'm really pleased it, with that as well. Absolutely. <laughs> That's good to know, Tom. No, in, in all honesty, I mean, having the flexibility, I work from my home. I set up an office in my home, able to wake up early and just kind of hit the ground running and work and then maybe take off in the morning and go to the gym or leave, leave my office in the middle of the day like I did this morning and go listen to a, a live concert at KUT. Um, and so be able to, to do those things you're just not able to when you're at a big agency. My clients know that I'm always available. I'm pretty much 24-7. I was in Columbia last month and I did Skype calls with clients from Columbia because I want to be accessible, but I also want the freedom to, to travel the world and spend time with my friends and family. And that really, that freedom has been um, the most rewarding thing. I think the other thing is that I get to pick um, the types of clients I work with. And I, I tell people there's, there's basically two sets of criteria. One is I want to work on issues I care about, I'm passionate about, or I'm interested in. And the other is I want to work with people I think are smart, fun, and good at their jobs. <laughs> and once, once you kind of meet those two sets of criteria, I, I'm game for any type of client beyond that. But I've gotten to work with some great friends. I've been able to build um, new clients and new relationships and get to know a lot of new organizations um, just in the last seven months. So I just kind of constantly feel enthused and energized. And maybe I'm, you know, at the beginner's high of it all. But so far, I can't imagine ever going back to work for anybody else. So is there anything that you don't love about it? Is there anything that makes you say, oh, gosh, what have I done? You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, nothing really, um, there's no regret at all, um, I think is the first answer. There's small things that are challenges, like the first time I realized I didn't have an IT desk to call, <laughs> I had a computer problem. Yes, we um, all know, we I, all know how that goes. Absolutely. Um, I've been able to build up a set of resources around me, um, you know, accountants, um, technology assistants, people that I contract with to do a variety of work. You know, I think knowing what your expertise is and knowing what you're not good at um, is really important. I don't try to be all things to all people, but if my clients need me to take on, you know, design work or social media work, I have smart people that I'm happy to contract with. And so being able to partner with them. So the only, you know, the only time I have a moment of, of, of panic is, you know, if my computer doesn't start. Um, but then I have resources now at the ready to, to reach out to. But I think, <laughs> I think surrounding yourself by good res- with good resources um, is really important. And I've been fortunate to be able to do that. So Jennifer, if someone is listening and they're thinking, I, I, I'm ready to pull the trigger. I, w- I want to do what she did seven months ago. What advice do you have for somebody who wants to take that leap? Well, a few things. I mean, when I planned, I planned, I researched, I spoke to lots of people who were in a similar business to mine. There were kind of three takeaways that everybody gave me pretty consistently. The first one was don't hire until you have to. I think people make the mistake of hiring staff and then having to be responsible for those 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 employees right away, which is a challenge. The second thing was to, to not take on any overhead unless you need to. I mean, 
you know, I kept getting questions about where it's going to office from. And I thought I have this great house and a great neighborhood with an office in it. I don't need to take on more overhead. The third piece of advice was to get a good accountant and a good bookkeeper. And I think that's incredibly important, especially for, for creative types like ourselves. We deal in words, not necessarily in numbers. <laughs> I, can, so I, wanted, I can live that one. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I had somebody else who had a better sense of, of the economics of the whole situation helping me manage my money. But beyond those kind of three takeaways, I think it's important for people to really be prepared and to start with the foundation, um, to not take a leap without clients in mind or clients on board, um, really building a, a strong network and maintaining those relationships and being helpful to others. I, I, I just can't tell you how many times paying it forward has come back to reap dividends for me. I've had interns who I helped earlier in their career turn around and become great clients. I think another important piece of advice is to contribute strategically. You know, volunteerism is a critical and important part of my life, but I try to volunteer in a way that allows me to showcase my professional skills so that when people get to know me and appreciate my time, you know, they see what I'm capable of and they can later on hire or refer me. And I think that final point is, you know, referring others. If something isn't in your wheelhouse, be honest about it, um, but then have a network of strategic partners to whom you can refer business. Um, That helps build goodwill with other people in the community. It helps you build relationships um, and people will always be interested in referring back to you. Um, you know, my kind of final piece of advice that came from my, one of my college professors, John Daly, who is a communications guru, um, was under promise and over deliver. I think that's always good advice in life. You know, make sure you set, set expectations and then exceed them every time. And, you know, those principles have really worked well for me and I've been really fortunate thus far and I look forward to a very long, successful career as an entrepreneur. Well, Jennifer, you give really good advice with with all of that. And I will say that that number three that you had, the idea of refer others, is something I think people forget, especially in the early stages of their business. They they get so caught up in trying to do their own thing and trying to make sure that they're promoting themselves and they're they're calling their own clients and they're they're saying, Me, 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 look at me, here's my business, check out what I'm doing. That I think what happens to some extent is we forget that it is so easy to refer someone else. And sometimes it's you have someone call you and, and you can't take the business for whatever reason. And in my world as a speaker, I can only be on one city on one stage at a time. And so somebody calls and says, are you available for December 7th? And I say, no, I'm going to be in Minnesota. Well, guess what? I cannot be in Atlanta that day. And what mm-hmm. so many people do at that point is they say, oh, keep me in mind for next year. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And in reality, if you were to say, you know, I can't do it, but I have an associate who would be totally fantastic and just wow your audience, you've done two things. One is you've proved to that person who called you, to that prospect, that that you're the go-to person. You're the person to turn to because even if you can't do it, you have an excellent person to refer. And then the other piece of that is the person who you refer, if they get hired or, or heck, even if they just get considered, just making it on the short list for some people is fantastic. They are forever going to be so grateful to you. And it took all of six seconds to, to add that piece in. And so one of the things I do in my career is every single time I work with a client, I know two things to be evident. And that is, if I'm your keynote speaker, I pretty much know that next year you are going to have an event and that you probably do not want the same keynote speaker. And I learned that from a guy named Ross Bernstein who says that he never 
would finish an event without referring one of his friends for next year because he said they're they're going to look for somebody and you you know no very few events bring the same keynote or back to back so he's not really risking anything by saying I have a great suggestion for you for next year now that I know your organization and by doing that he doubled his business because or you know some huge number of of more business because not only did the clients then want him again in the future because they think of him as that go-to resource but the people who he refers then start doing the same thing to other clients. So that little piece, you know, you just kind of breezed over it. Oh, number three, refer people. I think it can have such an amazing impact on anyone's career, but certainly for a solopreneur or someone in the starting phases, because you're going to build a whole army of people who want to refer business back to you. Tom, I think that's right. And and I think it's a good point. It also you know, makes me think of something I say to my clients when I'm doing media training is don't ever lead a reporter down a dead end. You know, if a reporter asks you a tough question or a question you're not capable of answering, don't just say no, or God forget it, don't ever say no comments, but then lead them down another path onto something you want to talk about, bridge to that next key message. You know, so as communicators, you always have to figure out what's that next step. Don't end end a conversation without providing a follow-up or providing that next thing. I think it's the same kind of concept with this referral. It's always thinking ahead, two steps down the road, what's happening next. And that's how you can be a value to your clients and to your associates and your greater network. So being a resource to those conference conference organizers like you've been is similar to being a resource to media. I find that to be an incredibly valuable tactic as well. So, Jennifer, this is a fabulous discussion, but before I can ask you more questions, I have to thank our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. They do all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing amazing people like Jennifer. For an exclusive offer that they have set up for the listeners of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, visit podfly.net slash cool things. And they're not just a sponsor. They are the producers of this show. I hired them because I knew I was never going to be able to take care of the technical side of doing a podcast twice a week and traveling the country and raising two kids and trying to be a good husband and trying to keep up with my friends and my siblings, etc. There's just too many things going on for me to sit and edit every single podcast. And so I found podfly.net and they, without them, this show never would have been a reality. So if you're thinking of starting a podcast, I highly recommend them. Hey, so Jennifer, what's something new and exciting that you're doing in your business? I mean, heck, your business is only seven months old, but what are you doing that's cool? Uh, I think, that, what, what am I doing that's cool? I think the cool thing that I'm doing is getting to help um, some nonprofits. I think that is where my, my kind of heart and passion is at the moment, in making sure that they're telling their story. So I'll just use the example of the Salvation Army of Austin. Um, I've been working with them to develop a communications campaign around their upcoming capital campaign. And I have been so excited to learn more about the deep needs in our community, particularly around um, the case of women and children homelessness. And so um, digging deep into those statistics and those data points have been a little bit heartbreaking, but also really exciting to know that we're going to help create a solution with the capital campaign and the resources and facilities we're going to be able to build. So I think using my communication skills to contribute back to my community is a pretty cool thing. So we could talk about you and about your you know, company all day long, but I think some of the best entrepreneurs are observers. So I love to ask my guests, what cool things do you see some other entrepreneur doing? that you want to share with the audience. 
One of the things that I um, am interested in is YouTube videos, and I think that there's a lot of people that are, are really using um, the the channel, the YouTube channel, to sell their business or sell their skills. Um, just yesterday, I was interested in um, providing someone with some guidance about how do you you know shoot short YouTube videos to to fill a channel with interesting content. And I, I went online, and there were so many great um, you know entrepreneurs on there who were put had practical films that were two to three minutes long that were well shot but very simple but provided interesting feedback in a video format. That's something that I haven't done and I'd love to consider you know, how to do that um, for my own business and then for my clients. So I think um, using video, which people really love video, um, is, is something that's pretty powerful and exciting um, to see um, entrepreneurs doing. So the last question I ask everybody, and you might have already answered this in the what are you doing that's cool, but I love to ask people, what do you do to give back? Because in addition to being great observers, I think the best entrepreneurs want to do more than make money. They, they want to leave their mark. So what is it that you do to give back to the greater good? And, and maybe it's what you're doing with the Salvation Army. Yeah, the, the Salvation Army is definitely um, one of those things. But I'm, I'm involved. I think I'm on about six different boards right now. But but most of my volunteer time at the moment is spent in an organization called the Texas 4000 for Cancer. I'm the chairman of the board of the Texas 4000. And it is a charity bike ride from Austin, Texas to Anchorage, Alaska. Oh, my God. Right now. Yeah, <laughs> that's a long way. <laughs> are, are you going to do this? Or are you just chairman of the board? Are you like no. sitting in a big chair saying, <laughs> okay, everybody, put on your little spandex pants and get your butt from riding from Austin to Alaska. That's precisely what I'm doing. I don't wear spandex and I don't own a bike, but I'm happy to spread the word about this organization primarily because it's comprised of UT Austin students. Um, As we speak, 71 UT Austin students are spread out around the continent heading uh, to Anchorage. They're uh, midway through their journey. It's 70 days, 4,500 miles, and they pedal um, every single day in in remembrance of people they've lost to cancer, um, in the fight um, to find the resources and to find a cure for cancer and also to share hope. Um, They stop in at cancer hospitals and hospices and visit with kids and families and others impacted by cancer. It is a tremendous organization, incredibly heartwarming, um, and I'm really proud to tell their story, help them raise money, um, and really cultivate um, a group of young people, a dynamic group of young people who are fighting back against cancer and becoming the future leaders and philanthropists. So that is something I think is important because, um, you know, I, I can get up every day and maybe I can't ride a bike, but I certainly can ride a press release. Um, and I might not be able to, to give a million dollars, but I can help provide the materials to help other re- people raise that money. So I like to use my resources and my, my skills um, to help give back to my community. And that's just one example of how I do that. Wow, that is that is a phenomenal charity, and and we lost both my mother and my mother in law to breast cancer, and so I, I know I know the the cause very intimately, and I have to say I think that's a fabulous way to give back, and I myself wouldn't ride my bike from Austin to you know Anchorage either, but uh, <laughs> my heart goes out to all of them, and 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 kudos to all those people who are right now pedaling their way to Alaska. Yes, definitely. If people can follow them along at Texas4000.org, they're blogging and posting um, on a regular basis, and. And like like you, Tom, every single one of us has been impacted. And so that's just what makes the cause even even more poignant and the, the work um, even more joyful. Well, thank you for what you do. That's great. I love, I love it when people share something that makes me kind of tingle, and that did. So thank you very much. Wonderful. Hey, Jennifer, if someone's listening to this and they say, I have to know more about Jennifer Sarver and Sarver Strategies, how do they find you? 
Well, I've just actually launched a website, so they could go to www.sarverstrategies.com. I'm also on Twitter, at UT Sarver. I'm a graduate of the University of Texas, so I'm a big Longhorn fan, so at Hook UT Sarver. Hook em. Uh, yeah, there's a few of us out there. Well, um, I, of course, of course I, did, I didn't go to school there, but I've lived in Austin for 24 years. So, so you're a Longhorn by osmosis. You know, you cut, you cut me and I bleed orange just a little bit. There you go. There you go. But that's the best way to find me, and um, I'm easily Googleable, um, and I'd love to chat with anybody who wants to to start their own business. I'm I'm a big fan of supporting other people and helping them connect with resources. So thanks so much for the opportunity to chat with you today, Tom. It's been very enjoyable. Oh, thank you for coming on the show. It's guests like you that make all of the listeners get excited and inspired because I think the people who listen to the show there there's a lot of people who have just sort of launched out on their own, but there's a lot of people who want to. There's a lot of people who listen to this show who tell me I'm getting close. I'm six months away. I'm a year away from, you know, doing my own cool things. And I think it's people like you who inspire them to say, you know, hey, I can do this too. So thank you again for being a guest on the show. And for those of you who tuned in and listened, thank you very much. I always say we would, would not have a show if someone didn't tune in and listen. So I appreciate all of you who download the show, who leave comments uh, on iTunes and review the show, and people who send me tweets or emails letting me know that they enjoy the show. So we'll be back in a couple of days with another cool entrepreneur. But in the meantime, go out there. And have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.